What amazing testimonies we heard today. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're in the house. We have some special guests in the house today. Um, Sadie's father is here, Pastor Sadie's father. My father-in-law is here all the way from Puerto Rico. I'm glad you're here, Dad. It's a blessing to have you here. Some aunts as well that are here joining us, and it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, Many of you have been praying for the family. Of course, Sadie's sister, but you know, she's Fishkill, right? Traveled all the way from Fishkill to be here. Um, but thank you for praying for the family. Many of you know uh, that one of Sadie's brothers had been in the hospital for some time in critical condition. He passed earlier this week. And so we're just asking for your continued prayers, that, that God would bring peace to the family. Amen. And peace to her father, especially in this time. Um, the, the Word of God describes a peace that goes beyond our understanding, right? And we're just praying that that would be ours this week. But we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're in the house. If you have your Bible, can you go ahead and open to Acts chapter 12? Acts chapter 12, we're journeying through the book of Acts as a church. And... Um, it's an amazing book. What we see happen throughout this book is nothing short of supernatural. Last week, we saw the establishment of the church in Antioch. You remember that? There were the, the Gentiles in Antioch, and we saw Barnabas again. We saw this great encourager. We saw how he actually went uh, to Tarsus, and, and he, he called Saul to be a part of the ministry in Antioch. And we said this last week. Can we get just a little more light in the house? I want to see you all the way out there. A little bit more light. We said this, that sometimes uh, it takes a Saul, a Barnabas to go and find a Saul, right? You remember that? We said sometimes it takes a Barnabas to go and find a Saul. And I got to say this again this week. You may not be called to be that upfront person in the spotlight that everyone sees, but the gift of encouragement is so needed in the church. The gift of encouragement is so needed in the body of Christ. And so your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but rather someone that you inspire. Now, there's this theme that you can note throughout the Bible, but we see it particularly here in the book of Acts, and it's this theme that we serve a sovereign God, that God is in charge, amen, that he rules over the world, that he rules over the kingdom of men, uh, and, and, and today we're going to jump into chapter 12, okay, and we're going to try to do something we haven't done in a while, which is try to cover a whole chapter in one Sunday, so I'm going to jump right into it, okay, Acts chapter 12, somebody say, ooh, we'll get through it, don't worry, we're, we're good, we're good, Acts chapter 12 beginning there in verse 1. It says this, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but listen to this, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought that he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second gate, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. Now, when Peter came to himself, he said, now 
I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and he's rescued me from the hand of Herod and all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer and recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he, 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 he did not find him. He examined the sentries and he ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Verse 20, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And he, uh, they came to him with one accord and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, he took his seat upon the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. May God bless the reading of his word today. Verse 1 there in chapter 12 says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, you've heard that name before, right? You've heard that name, Herod? And you can read through the New Testament and be kind of wondering what's going on because you see Herod's name and then Herod dies and then we see him again. It's like, what is, what's the deal with this guy? Is he like coming back to life? What, what's going on? But here's the key. When you see that word Herod, think of it like seeing the word Caesar because there's more than one King Herod. Unfortunately, there is more than one King Herod because the Herodian dynasty was like the, this whole family of really bad dudes. I mean, really evil people. The, the, the Herod family is a family that constantly fought against God. And so here in Acts chapter 12, this is not the Herod that we saw at the beginning of Jesus' life. This is not the Herod that we saw when he was a baby in Bethlehem. That was Herod the Great. Now, what made Herod the Great great? Not too much. He called himself great, and if you valued your life, you would say, okay, you're great, right? But, but Herod the Great, he was an Idumean, okay? And the Idumeans came from a guy named Esau. Remember, Isaac had two sons. There was Jacob and Esau, right? And so Esau was the father of the Idumean kingdom. And so Herod the Great was related to the Jewish people, but he was not Jewish. He is in the Semitic family all the way back from a guy named Esau. Now, Herod the Great, this is the guy who met the wise men, right? They're, they're looking for the king of the Jews, and of course, he asked the Magi, he says, when you find him, come and tell me, because I want to go and worship him, but that was never his plan, right? 
And, and, and when he hears about this king, he feels threatened. And so this is the one who killed all of the, the babies in Bethlehem because he's threatened by the idea of another king. Herod the Great was not a great person. He was a great builder, but he wasn't a great person. He was a, why do I say he's a great build, builder? Because if you go to Israel today, you can see a lot of things that were built by Herod the Great, okay? We have an Israel trip happening in November. Time is running out to sign up for that. But if you can get on that trip, I want to challenge you. Somebody said before we ever went to Jerusalem, it's a life-changing trip. And I said, well, what does that mean? You got to go and find out. It is a life-changing trip to walk where Jesus walked. And one of the places that we visit while we're there is Masada. It is this, uh, I think I have a picture of it. It's this amazing fortress that he built on, on the top of this plateau that we get to go up and see. Now, don't worry, we don't climb up it. We take a cable car to the top. King Herod didn't build that cable car. That came a little later, right? But it's amazing as you stand on the top of this plateau, you say, how in the world did he build this? I mean, you're talking around like 37 BC, right? And so he's this great builder, but he is a horrible person. It said that he had 10 wives and he killed several of them. He killed a number of his own sons because he felt threatened by them. In fact, in Rome, there was a saying, it's safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be Herod's son. Now, one of the wives that Herod the Great married and killed was a woman by the name of Mariamne. Unfortunately, he came home in a bad mood one day, and so he killed her. He felt really bad about it afterwards, but there was nothing he could do. She's already dead, right? And, and so in his anger, then he kills one of her sons as well, Aristobulus. That's how bad this guy was. He killed wives. He killed his children. It's it said that when Herod the Great was close to death, that he ordered all of the most notable citizens of Jerusalem to be imprisoned. And he ordered that upon his death, all of these people should be executed. Now, why did he do that? Because he knew that when he died, no one was going to cry for him. But at the same time, he wanted to make sure there was mourning in Jerusalem on that day, right? And so this is how he did. That's how messed up this guy was. That's how evil he was. And you know what? His family followed in his footsteps. And so this, so the, Herod, uh, kills the, the son, uh, his son, but Aristobulus before his death had a, another son, and his name is Agrippa. This is Herod Agrippa. And so he is the Herod, okay, of ch Acts chapter 12. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. Are you tracking with me? All right. Look at verse 2. It says, he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. James was one of the, the chief apostles. Remember, there's Peter, James, and John. These seem to be the ones that were closest to Jesus. And so, while Stephen was the, the first Christian martyr, James is the first apostle that is martyred, okay? Now, Herod Agrippa I had been educated in Rome. He was friends with the emperor Caligula. You ever heard that name? Uh, he was known as the mad emperor, okay, real wacko, right? He claimed to be God. And so, you know, if you're friends with Caligula, you've got to be pretty messed up yourself, right? But, but at the same time, Somehow, King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, had earned favor with the Jewish people because he had an affinity towards Judaism. It said that he was, he was circumcised, he observed many of the rituals and the, the Jewish ordinances, and so the Jews kind of liked him. But he wanted to continue in their favor, and one of the ways he did this was by persecuting the early church. 
because the Jews in Jerusalem at this time began to see the early Christians as a threat. And so in hassling the Christians, the, the Jews in Jerusalem say, we love that, right? And so he, he kills James and they love it. And he says, wow, if they like it that much, let me get Peter. Let me do this again, right? That's what's happening here in our text, right? Seeing a chance to increase his popularity, he decides to arrest Peter. Now it says this, this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Can I just say this? Politicians love the praise of people, right? And so arresting Peter, this is one way. He's like, I'm going to get a ratings boost right away. I'm going to get Peter, right? And he assigns four squads of soldiers to guard Peter. It was four soldiers in each squad. So this is 16 soldiers in all. You might read that and say, well, isn't that a bit much to to guard Peter, to guard unarmed Peter? Four squads, four men. Two of them would be chained to the prisoner. Two others would stand guard at the door. And every six hours, there would be a new shift. It sounds like a bit much for one man, but don't forget, Herod probably knows Peter had been in prison before, right? He had been in prison before, and he miraculously escaped. Remember, he's in prison, and next thing you know, he's in the temple, and he's preaching. And so Herod Agrippa thinks, that's not going to happen again. I'm going to put 16 soldiers to guard over this man before his execution. Now, it says this, that he was intending to bring him before the people. That is for an execution after Passover. Now, that's interesting, right? Why after Passover? I mean, you got Peter now, right? You know he's escaped before. Let's just do this right now, right? Well, Herod knows Jewish law, and he knows it's against Jewish law to put someone to death during a high festival, during Passover. Now, you hear that, and you might be thinking, well, hold on a second. Wasn't Jesus killed during Passover? Exactly. And the trial of Jesus has been shown on a number of occasions by many books and research as being illegal on so many fronts. At the same time, we know this, we understand it was necessary for Jesus, the Lamb of God, to die on Passover to fulfill the Passover because he would be the ultimate Passover lamb. John the Baptist declared, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so even though it was never done, even though it was highly illegal, Jesus' death at the time of Passover completed the type. It fulfilled typical prophecy. So even though Jesus was killed during Passover, going against all the laws, Herod says, we're not going to do that again. So James is dead, and Peter's in prison. And Peter's going to escape out of prison. I'm not spoiling the story. We already read that, right? But, but I think about that. Peter's going to escape out of prison, and I, I think about James, and I think, man, I think James was as dedicated as Peter was. I, I think he loved Jesus as much as Peter loved Jesus. I think he was as godly as Peter was godly, in some ways maybe more. And so here's the question you have to wrestle with as you read this text. Why is it that one apostle gets killed and the other doesn't? I mean, if both of these men are, are dedicated to God, now, I bring that up because Let's be honest, sometimes it's confusing when we see good and, and godly men or women suffer and die, right? Like, like we look at their lives and we say, there's so much more that they could have done. And we think, man, there's so many more years of great service and ministry and influence that they could have had. And it, it seems like they die in untimely death. And you go, God, I, I know you're sovereign, Lord, but honestly, you have to deal with that, right? You have to wrestle with that. At the same time, we know this that God says, my ways are not your ways. 
that my ways are above your finding out, right? And, and so sometimes we just got to rest there. We have to stop right there, and we got to say, Lord, you're sovereign, and, and I'm not, right? So you have one that gets killed and, and, and one who doesn't. And I don't know if you remember, though, that, that James and John came to Jesus at one point. They, they had a request of him, and actually... They didn't have the guts to ask it themselves, and so they send their mom, right? Mom, why don't you go and ask him? And she comes to Jesus, and she says, you know, Jesus, my two boys would, would really love it if in your kingdom, one could sit at your right hand and one could sit at your left. Like, that would be really cool, Jesus, right? And so Jesus turns, and he asks James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And, and, and they didn't, at that time, know exactly what Jesus meant. He's, he's referring to his suffering, right? He's referring to his death, and they, they don't know what he's talking about. So they say, yeah, of course, we're able to do that. You remember what he said to them? He said, okay, then indeed you will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. And so here in this passage, understand this, we see it coming to pass. Listen, I believe this today. I, I believe that as a child of God, that you are invincible until God's done with you. You are invincible until God's done with you. And, and when God's done with you, why would you want to hang around here anyway, right? <laughs> to me, it's over, it's over, let's go, right? When God says, I'm done, I'm done, right? And, and we read this and we say, well, James is done. And, and you can almost like, our, our earthly side says, man, I feel bad for James. And then you think about it, you say, what are you, nuts? Are you kidding me? James beat Peter to heaven right? Like that's bragging rights right there. They would, always, they would always be competitive, right? You remember when Jesus rose from the dead that Peter and John, James's brother, they ran to the tomb and, and one outran the other. Of course, John is bragging, saying, I got there first, right? And now in heaven, it's James, the brother of John. He says, I got here first, Peter. I beat you here, right? But look at this. Look at verse 5. It, it says, so Peter was kept in prison. He's here, there in prison, but but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. How about taking that today and applying it to your own situation? Again, Peter's kept in prison, but earnest prayer is being made by the church. Whatever your situation is, but earnest prayer is made by the church. Whatever your problem is, you have to take that other part, right, and say, but, but constant prayer is being made for my situation because when we pray, it will change the outcome. And hear me, I don't think it means it'll change God's mind, but somehow God loves to partner with us to see his will done on the earth. And, and, and so Peter's in prison, but prayer is made by the church, and it will change the outcome. Look at verse 6. It says, Herod was about to bring him out. It says, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. It is the night before his planned trial and execution. Can I just say, sometimes God waits till the last moment, right? So our faith is stretched. But here's Peter. He's, he's bound in chains between two soldiers. There's guards in, in front of the door of that prison. How do you sleep chained between two guards? How do you sleep chained between two guards knowing you're going to die the next day? Now, it's interesting because as you read through Scripture, Peter never seems to have a problem with insomnia. He, he, like, never had a problem sleeping. I mean, that, that guy could sleep anywhere, right? Mount of Transfiguration, right? All this is taking place. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Peter takes a nap, right? Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying. He says, could you tarry with me for just an hour? And there's Peter. He's sleeping. This guy never had an insomnia issue. But I want you to see here in this passage, this is not just Peter taking a nap. 
there is in this moment a rest of peace. This is a sleep of confidence and faith and peace, right? When it says the guards are watching him there in the prison. Now, when I ask the question, how do you sleep the night before you're going to be executed? Well, you could say, well, Peter just completely trusted the Lord, right? Like, he understood my life is, is in God's hand. But I also think this. I also think Peter knew he was not going to be executed. You say, well, how do you know that? I mean, Herod said he's going to kill him, right? I mean, he killed James already, right? He's going to kill Peter. No, remember, Jesus gave Peter a promise. John chapter 21. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter there in verse 18 of John 21. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, Peter, follow me. Now, Jesus used some interesting language there in the text that I don't think Peter ever forgot. He said, when you are old, you're going to die this way, right? Well, that wasn't too long ago, and now Peter's in prison, right? Jesus had spoke these words to him, and what words of comfort? You say, those are strange words of comfort, right? You're going to die this way. But he's saying, you know, when I'm old, and he's looking at himself, I'm, so, I'm not old yet. And so Peter says to the guards, good night, guys. I'm, I'm going to sleep. I'll see you in the morning, right? I'm not getting killed tomorrow. I'm good, guys. Because Jesus said, I'm not going to die until I'm old and I'm not there yet. And so Peter goes to sleep and he can rest. Here's why. Because he believes the promise that Jesus gave to him. Peter can rest because he believes the promises that Jesus gave to him. How about you? How about us? Can we rest in the promises that Jesus speaks? Are we going to rest in the promises of God? Or are we going to live lives that lack confidence and certainty because we won't believe the promises of God's word? Listen to me. When you believe that God's in control, night falls, you can say, good night, I'm going to sleep. God's in control. He's in charge. Whatever happens tomorrow, he's in charge. Amen? He's in charge. I, I love Isaiah 26.3, one of my favorite verses. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. And so Peter's in prison, but understand this. In prison, he's living in the presence of God. He knows it. He's living by faith. Now, the doors of that, that prison are shut. It, it would seem impossible for, for any other outcome other than death to take place. But through, though the doors of, of the prison are shut, though the doors of justice seem to be closed by a, an evil king, there is one door that remains open, and it is the door of prayer. Earnest prayer is being made by the church. Prayer for the early church, it was their secret weapon. And can I just say this today? It's still our greatest weapon. It's still our greatest weapon. It's why our Tuesday night prayer meeting is the most important meeting of the week because we believe that, that when we seek the face of God, that he moves, that he moves in our midst, he moves on our behalf. Now let me tell you, because some of us, over time, as we, we follow the Lord, we, we know about prayer. We, we hear it. Yeah, I know, Pastor, prayer is important, but we don't engage in it with real faith because we failed to believe that it really is our secret weapon. Sometimes we don't pray until someone's in prison, right? We don't pray until we're, we're backed up against the wall and there's no other option, right? Off too often, we live that way. And so, like, I'm glad the church was praying in Jerusalem. But my question is, were they praying all along, not just at this time? And I think they were. But regardless, they were praying to God 
and things will change because of that. Look at verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side, and he woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Now, Peter didn't know it. But there's an angel in the cell. I mean, he's sleeping. He's sound asleep. There's an angel right next to him. The, the light shone in the prison. Now, Peter's sleeping pretty good because when somebody turns on the lights, right, I'm up. Like, what's going on, right? This light shones in there, shines in the prison. And so the angel has to resort to, look at it, he struck Peter. So he's not just sleeping, he's groggy. The angel has to help him up. What a way to wake up. You wake up to a miracle happening, right? You wake up to an angel as your alarm clock. That's amazing, right? And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Now, that, it sounds funny, but I actually love that verse because the angel's so practical. He's like, get up, Peter. Get dressed. Tie your shoes. We got to go, right? It says, and he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. Peter thought he's having a dream. This is an awesome dream. I love this, right? It says there in verse 10, when they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left. Don't you love that? This is the first automatic gate in the history of the world. <laughs> angel didn't have to push a button, do anything. It just opened up, right? It sees him coming, right? And, and now Peter, all of a sudden, he's like, he's fully conscious. He's finally woke up. He says this, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and he's rescued me from the hand of Herod and all the Jewish people were expecting. So I think we can say that the prayer meeting worked, can't we? I, I think we can say the prayer meeting worked. The angel got Peter out of prison, but can I just say it was prayer that got a hold of the angel, right? And, and there's this cooperation, right? You're, you're seeing people on earth praying to God and it was God's will to deliver Peter but God got them cooperating with his will, and it was their prayer that fetched the angel. Can I just say, sometimes it appears that the devil is winning. Sometimes it, it appears that he's got it all worked out. He's about to pull off this big victory, right? That was the case at the cross, right? That's what it seemed like at the cross. But then God does something extraordinary, and what seems like defeat becomes a great victory. But I'm reading this, and I'm like, man, what's King Agrippa going to do? Like, how is he going to explain this to the crowds that gather the next day? They're expecting something, right? I think he gathers the whole PR team together. we got to come up with a story, guys. This is bad. Peter's gone, right? And so the church prayed for Peter, and God released him. Does that mean that they failed to pray for James? I don't think so. I think they probably prayed as fervently for James as they did for Peter. And you say, well, then why didn't God answer their prayer? He did. He said no. Last time I checked, that was an answer, right? My kids will come to me sometimes and say, Dad, can I have $20? I'll say no. They got their answer, right? You know, some days they'll catch me on a good day and can I get $20? I'll say yes, right? Come on, give me some credit, all right? <laughs> right? But here's what you need to know. Regardless of the yes or no, God's still sovereign. And he rules and he actually overrules. And, and so when you pray, hear me, you can't demand and say, well, I have enough faith and I can claim it. And whatever I say out of my mouth, that's what God's going to do. Can I just say that's nonsense? Because God has the final say. He has the final say. So the answer was no when it came to James and it was yes when it came to Peter. Again, God's ways are not our ways. He has editing rights over every one of your prayers, right? And, and so the angel was able to get Peter out of prison but what's amazing here is 
he's unable to get Peter into a prayer meeting, right? It's like easier to get him out of jail than it is to get him in a prayer meeting. You can see why. Look at verse 12. Peter's coming to his senses. He realizes this is not a dream. And when he realizes, it says he went to the house of Mary where many were gathered and praying. How did he know they were at the house of Mary praying? Probably because it was a regular thing, right? He's like, oh, it's a prayer meeting tonight. I'm going, right? And he goes to the house and it says, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And so it's knock, 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 right? Rhoda comes and it says, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Here's poor Peter. She goes, oh, it's Peter. What's the next step? You open the door, Rhoda, right? Like, let him in. But she's so excited, she runs and she reports, man, Peter's standing at the gate. Hey, Peter's outside. But they say to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept on insisting it was so. And they said, well, it's probably his angel. Now, that cracks me up, okay? Because I'm not going to get into the whole belief about, uh, of angels, but just say this. Why would an angel need to knock on the door, right? <laughs> angels don't knock. Angels just show up, right? But they come up with this excuse. Oh, you're not to can't be Peter. And when she kept ex- insisting, no, that's Peter. He's out there. They said it's his angel. Now, let me say something about their prayer meeting because I'm glad they were praying. I admire a church that gathers together for prayer, that recognizes the importance of prayer. They were praying continually. But can I just say, even though they were praying continually, it seems like they were not praying expectantly. Because if they were praying expectantly and Rhoda said, hey, Peter's at the door, they would have said, of course he is, right? We knew that would happen. Of course God would answer our prayer. But they go, you're out of your mind. It can't be him. Now, let me ask you, what kind of faith is this? It's not very much at all. Not a whole lot of faith. You're out of your mind. There's no way that's going to happen. We're just praying for it. There's no way that's going to happen. Can't be him, right? Now, Now, when you talk about prayer and faith, you need to understand there are some extremes that are taught that are not biblical. Okay? There is this word of faith movement that says if you just have enough faith and you speak a word and you pray in faith and you claim it in Jesus' name, it will happen. And so if it doesn't happen, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. You just didn't have enough faith. Now let me ask you, here in our story, did they have enough faith? They didn't even believe it was possible, right? Did God answer their prayer anyway? Yes, he did. And I believe there's a balance to this whole thing, right? There was a man who came to, to Jesus at one point in the Gospels, and he had a son who was demon-possessed. He said, Jesus, can you, can you do something about my son? And Jesus said, you know, if you have enough faith, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, there's a statement of faith, right? And the man said to Jesus, well, I believe, but would you help my unbelief, right? Now, that's an honest man. Lord, I, I believe, Right? I think if we're honest in our prayer life, we would say, God, there's, there's a part of me that believes and there's a part of me that's struggling with this, right? Like, like I hold faith and unbelief together at the same time. I believe, but God, would you help my unbelief? And I would say so often that when we pray to God, we have faith that God can do anything. We're just not sure if he's going to do exactly what we expect him to do, right? And that's when you say, Lord, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? Would you help me to trust you in this, regardless of the outcome? Jesus healed that boy, even though the father had shaky faith. And that's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't follow around the faith teachers on their jet plane saying, I'm going to answer your prayer. No, he's God. Understand, he does what he wants to do. 
And so Peter, verse 12, let's begin to close this out. I said begin to close this out, all right? Verse 16 says this, but Peter continued knocking. I love this. They're upstairs arguing about the theology of angels, and Peter's still like, come on, guys, I'm here, right? They're they're having a theological debate, and he's still knocking on the door. He keeps pounding. And when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were amazed. These great people of great faith. Their prayers are answered and they're amazed. But how many times have you been there, right? You're praying and then it happens and like you're amazed that it happened, but you were just praying for it, right? Who would have thought, right? But it says there, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now, this James is the other James, okay? It's not like Peter's unaware that James had been put to death. This is the half-brother of Jesus, that James, right? It says, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. I love that. There's no little disturbance. It's another way of saying there's a big disturbance, okay? These guards are are shaking in their boots because now the death penalty is before them. You see, a Roman soldier who allowed a prisoner to escape would receive the punishment that that prisoner was going to receive, right? And so it says, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries And he ordered that they should be put to death. You see it right there. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, verse 20. Don't miss how this chapter ends. I was going to cut it in half, but I said, I can't do that. Don't miss how this chapter ends. Verse 20. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So Herod's about to kill Peter. He's unable to do that. And now he's in Caesarea, and he's angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. That's uh, up the coast on Lebanon. And, and so there's this supply of food that would come from Galilee, and it would go that way. And Herod oversaw that. And, and so they want to stay on the king's good side, right? There was this falling out. He's angry with them. And so on, a, on an appointed day, they're just kind of setting you up here because they're going to pour all this praise on this king because they want to stay on his good side. Look at verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took a seat on the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Again, they want to be on his good side. They're crying, this guy's not even a man. He's he's a God. Now, verse 23. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms, and he breathed his last. You know what's amazing is the historian Josephus actually reports on this very same event. But only Luke tells us about this delegation from Tyre and Sidon. These types of details tell us of the true historicity of the book of Acts, of the gospel of Luke as well. Josephus says, man, it was on on the second day of the feast, this feast that's taking place in Caesarea, a feast in honor of Claudius in Rome, that during that day, Herod Agrippa I, he put on these robes. And in those robes, there was silver foil. There was actually silver in it, right? And so as the sun hit it, he gleamed, right? If you looked at him, this guy is bedazzled. That's how Josephus describes it. And so picture this. Herod Agrippa I goes into the theater in Caesarea, which is a place we always take our, our groups to when we go there. We sit them in the seats of that Roman theater. But think about this. He enters that theater in Caesarea dressed like that. The sun hits him, and the people go, the voice of God and not of man. And now it says he was struck. Why? 
because he did not give glory to God. Josephus actually says this, that he was in terrible pain for days. He died not on the same day, but five days later. He suffered in agony, and then he died. Why? Because he did not give God the glory that he deserved. See, they said he's a God. He could have gone, no, I'm not a God, right? That happens later on with Paul. We're not gods. He's God. But yet, Herod Agrippa said, yeah, give me that glory. And I want you to see how this chapter ends because it ends so differently than it begins. It it begins with Herod Agrippa flexing his muscles. Again, James is killed, Peter's in prison, but it ends with Peter miraculously freed from jail, and Herod's the one who's dead. And, and, And the king of Judea, the king of Galilee, is upstaged by the king of kings and lord of lords. Again, the sovereignty of God ruling and reigning, and this chapter ends so very differently than it started. Again, it feels like the devil's getting the upper hand when Herod's killing people. But if you hold on, can I just say this? If you hold on and you wait till the end, God is victorious. He's always victorious. As we close, I want you to think about this. Would you stand with me? I want you to think about this as you look at this story. And I want you to understand that no matter who you are or who you think you are, God is perfectly able to take you on and take you out. And you might be here today so proud of all that you've done and all that you've accomplished. You might say, I'm I'm brilliant. I got all this stuff going for me. You might be here today and you might shake your fist at God and be hard-hearted against God. But I want to say this. If not here on this earth, eventually your knee will also bow. One day I believe that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And and for those who reject God's solution to their dilemma, for those of us, we we are all a fallen creation. We're a sinful creation. We're in need of redemption. But for those who refuse the offer of eternal life in Christ Jesus, I want to say you do it for the same reasons that Herod received the glory. He, He died because he did not give glory to God. Romans chapter 1 talks about a judgment. Talks about a judgment that is coming for those who do not glorify God. The apostle Paul makes it clear that the existence of God is evident in creation. In other words, God put enough clues in the world for anybody with a thinking mind to say, you know what, there's got to be a designer behind this. Like there's got to be a God out there somewhere. But hear me today, if you reject the obvious and you don't give glory to God, the result is never good. If you take all the glory in your life for yourself, the result is never good. And so I want to encourage you today to make a better decision. You see, in this chapter, I don't know if you caught it, but an angel struck two different people. Did you catch that? And the Greek word there is the same Greek word. It's the word patasso, okay? The Puerto Ricans say papao, right? (laughs) Sorry, some of you just had a flashback right there, right? Patasso, right? But here's the thing about that word. It can mean to strike gently, or it can mean to strike forcibly. And the meaning differs according to the context. For Peter, when an angel struck him and woke him up, it caused him to wake up to the plan and the purpose of God in his life. The striking was was necessary for his freedom. It, It allowed him to escape King Agrippa's plan to kill him. But in Agrippa's case, the striking from the angel was for a different purpose. The strike of the angel was to inflict God's justice. And I truly believe today that the context of your heart will determine the outcome of the striking.
And, and so, do you want God to nudge you gently? Do you want him to wake you up to what it means to live life in him? Or do you want him to strike you the bad way when you take the glory for yourself? Look at verse 24. Here's what happens. Verse 24, it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Here we see it once again. Jesus said it. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against this church. Here we see it once again. The gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus said he would build his church. He would build his church. Listen to me today, because in in life, there's going to be glory that comes your way. The question is, are you going to keep that glory for yourself, or are you going to give it to the one who deserves it? (laughs) Are you going to say, yeah, look at me. I'm I'm a good person. I've done all these good things. Some people think that's enough to get them to heaven. I've done all these good things, and so I deserve heaven. Listen, the Word of God says the wages of sin is death. It also says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve death. None of us deserve eternity in heaven with Jesus. None of us deserve that. But when we recognize who Jesus is and we give him the glory that he deserves, he wakes us up to our purpose and our promise. Heads bowed around the room. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you as we close this service today. And I'm asking this, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you're here today and you heard the testimonies, you say, you know what, I need to come back to him. But if you're here today and you're wandering on your own and you find no solace, you find no peace, you find no rest, but you want to know today that you're forgiven, you want to know today that you're received by God, that you want to be a child of God, if that's your desire, if you've never done that before, or if you've walked away and you need to come home, as heads are bowed, my eyes are the only eyes that are open. But if you want to receive Christ, would you just raise up your hand quickly, just quickly saying yes. Anyone today that would say, I need to come home to Jesus. Praise God. I want to be able to pray for you and pray for you. Praise God. I see those hands. Praise God. Praise God. If you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to come to Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. As the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, just respond. I want to pray over you and for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you right now. Lord, I pray that you'd enable all those who just by an upraised hand today have said yes. Lord God, who by that simple upraised hand, that simple act of faith, Lord God, who are just saying they they want to acknowledge you and surrender their lives once again to you. And so I ask, would you follow through with that commitment, Lord? Because, Lord, I believe this, that you're committed to them. You're willing to take them today just as they are and to come into their lives and transform them and and, and make them different people. And so I pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would bring life change, Lord God. We pray that you would do that, Lord God. Not so anyone in this room could receive the glory, but that you would receive all the glory and the honor from every testimony. And so Holy Spirit, work even right now in every heart. I pray for full surrender to your plan and to your purpose, Lord God, that they would just say yes today. Tomorrow they would say yes. Yes, Lord, whatever it is that you have, Lord God, we believe, Lord God, that you withhold no good thing from those you love. And so we thank you for that. We receive that. I want to encourage you today as we close with a song, we're going to sing about God giving God the glory that he deserves. We're going to sing that he's worthy, that he's holy. Again, the question in your life is, 
Are you going to take the glory that comes your way and keep it for yourself? Or are you going to give it to the one who truly deserves it? Let this be your prayer as we close today. God, I want to give you the glory. You're deserving of all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. Amen. Let's lift it up as a prayer as we close.